Well, happy St. Patrick's Day to ya. I'm going to change my name to Patio. <laughs> patio Furniture. Okay, anyway, um, so you, you've got the outline for tonight, and it's what about dinosaurs? And this is always a great topic because you've got kids who are interested in this. You've got adults who are interested in this. Uh, and, and we need to have credible answers, all right? Uh, I, I want to take you back to uh, my schooling. I went to a Lutheran grade school. I went to a Lutheran high school. And I went to Concordia uh, University of Wisconsin for two years and transferred out to Concordia Teachers College, now Concordia University of Nebraska. And when I was in high school, I asked a teacher, how did dinosaurs fit in <clears throat> to the whole biblical model? And here's this answer. This teacher said, dinosaurs are a joke God played on humans. Well, you can knock me over with a feather. I couldn't believe that this man who's very educated and knowledgeable about the Bible had, had no response. He goes, well, it's just, they're just a joke. They didn't exist. And they're just uh, something that God put in the ground to mess with people. And I thought to myself, well, that's not a good God, okay? I mean, what's next? A whoopee cushion? You know, it's kind of one of these things where you go, wait a minute, what, you're, you're, you're trying to fool people, you're trying to, to, to mess with their minds. And so there wasn't a credible response. So that's what you and I need to have. For some reason, we think, oh, this just fits into evolution. And so we're just going to stay clear of it. We're not going to touch it because dinosaurs are owned by the evolutionary model. That's simply not the case. So if you go back to our our board here. If you remember, we were talking about this in our second week, talking about evolution and creation and the like. If all the matter of the universe was compressed to a point 14 billion years ago, it exploded, big bang, and then there was all this hot gas everywhere, and then eventually everything cooled down and formed sun, moon, and stars, all right? Four billion years ago, the earth formed. This is what the evolutionists teach. Four billion years ago, the earth formed. Three billion years ago, life forms from lifeless matter, which is scientifically impossible. We talked about that. It's the law of biogenesis. You've got to have something alive to produce something living. And then eventually, dinosaurs roamed the earth 65, 70 million years ago, and then humans came on the scene later. So that's the evolutionary model. When you look at a biblical model, what happens? Well, it was day one, light, and then there was water separated from above and below by a firmament or sky. God creates land on day three with vegetation. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. You can use it to light the earth and mark time, okay? Then on day five, fish and birds. Day six, land animals and Adam and Eve. And then on day seven, a day of rest where there's, there's no work. The dinosaurs are a part of God's creation, and they'd fit in day five if they're a seagoing dinosaur. They'd go on day six if they're a land-dwelling dinosaur, right? So that's a simple way to put it. But for some of us, we don't know what to do with this. And so you get a teacher like I had. Well, they were just a joke. They didn't exist. Or you get some people who say, well, they lived millions millions of years ago. What we're going to do today in our objective is, well, there's evidence that dinosaurs and humans have, have lived together, all right? And so we'll look at Scripture. And we'll also look at historical records. We'll look at sightings today. These things are absolutely fascinating, all right? So let's pray. We'll take a look at dinosaurs here. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance to remember and to uh, understand what you've created, this great world with all the creatures 
especially the dinosaurs that you made. I thank you, Lord, for their creation. I thank you for your ability to make these things, but also the ability to make us and to save us, to not leave us in our sin, but to give us a way back to you through Christ. Pray a blessing on this time that we can understand your word and that we can understand the evidence of dinosaurs and humans together and that through it all, you'd receive praise and glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you take a look at the outline there, uh, you, you've got some information that's going to come at you about dinosaurs. Again, there's a tremendous amount of information that's out there and other resources I can put you in touch with. So again, if you've got a question, we can do that later. If you want to email me, do that at brad.alice at cuw.edu. You can also go to my website, bradalice.com, and you can email me through that as well. All right, so let's take a look at the issue of dinosaurs. Now, we're using a term that's relatively new in history, all right? In 1841, there's a guy named Sir Richard Owen, and he coined the phrase dinosaur or terrible lizard. And so that's just part and parcel of our language now, but it wasn't always like that, all right? I was always kind of interested in dinosaurs, but never really did a lot about it until I was teaching down in Texas. So after graduating from Concordia Teachers College in Seward, Nebraska, I, I taught for three years down in Texas in Tomball, Texas, just outside of Houston. And there were people there who said, if you get a chance, drive up to the Waco area of Texas, drive north, and, and go to Dinosaur Valley State Park. You got to go to Dinosaur Valley State Park. It's absolutely fascinating. So I did. I, I drove up there, and it really was a fascinating little trip. Dinosaur Valley State Park is just outside of Waco. In the early 1900s, there was a flood that tore off topsoil and the top layers near this Paluxy River. The Paluxy River had overflowed and flooded, and the flooding was so severe it ripped off, ripped off topsoil and the outer layers of the earth and exposed, fossilized in the ground dinosaur tracks. And in and among the dinosaur tracks were human tracks fossilized as well. And so when people saw that, and this is 1900s, all right, so again, the evolutionary model has already been discussed and the like, people couldn't believe that there would be dinosaur and human tracks together. So some of these dinosaur and human tracks were removed and they found in lower layers of rock fossilized footprints of dinosaurs and humans together. And so sometimes the dinosaur had stepped and then the human had stepped on top of that track. Other times the human had stepped first and then a dinosaur had, had stepped on the human track. So the, the evidence was there and it was there in stone. And what happened is people took the footprints of the humans away. And now if you go to Dinosaur Valley State Park like I did, all you'll see is dinosaur tracks. It's absolutely fascinating. Now there's a creation museum just outside of Dinosaur Valley State Park that's got one of those tracks left and I'll show you that to you in a minute. So in this slide, I, I took my foot and I intentionally put it in the frame of the photo. So my shoe is down in the lower left and there's a three-toed dinosaur track. They're, they're all over. You don't have to hunt for them when you go to Dinosaur Valley State Park and you just start walking around. They're all over the place, right? And so I, I just wanted to get a, a, an idea of the scale, so I put my shoe down next to the track. I have size 11 in case you go out shopping for me later, okay? And, and that, that's a big footprint, all right? And the 
dinosaur experts at or, or that, that set the park up said, well, we've looked at these tracks and we've looked at the bones of dinosaurs and we think that this is an iguanodon track. What did iguanodon look like? Here's an artist rendering of an iguanodon. And so that back foot could have made that track like that. Now again, was iguanodon with green skin? Nobody knows. Nobody's ever found the skin of an iguanodon. They found the, the, the skeletal remains, but not the skin. So again, that's just artist rendering. And we talked about that in the second week. What people will do is they'll, they'll fill in what's not evidence, and so they'll just use their imagination, and, and that's fine, it's, it's understood. Here's a track at the Creation Museum outside of Dinosaur Valley State Park with a Acrocanthosaurus track, it's a three-toed dinosaur again, and a human footprint. Now, they, they painted the human footprint so you could see it better, but when I was there, and I took the picture of this, it was clear, yeah, that's a human footprint, okay? And so the three-toed dinosaur uh, track is, is pointing to the left and the heel would be to the right. And so Acrocanthosaurus, again, here's an artist's rendering of it. What did Acrocanthosaurus look like? Uh, like that, all right? So again, artist's rendering, skeletal remains are found, but not, not the skin. So did it have a brown skin? Who, who knows, all right? So you walk around Dinosaur Valley State Park, the human tracks are taken away. But the dinosaur tracks remain, all right? Why? If you take a look at our drawing up here, they lived 65 million years apart. You, they can't be shown together because that doesn't fit that model. Now, it fits a biblical model, but the park is set up with an evolutionary model, right? And they have this sign in the park. Human tracks. Some people mistakenly believe that human footprints are intermixed with the dinosaur tracks. Some of these human prints are deliberate fakes, while others are smudged dinosaur tracks that vaguely resemble human tracks. Isn't it fascinating? You walk into Dinosaur Valley State Park, and this is the first sign that you see. Uh, you know, you might have heard that there were human prints here. That's simply not the case. Now, we've taken them all away, so you'll never see them. But what were they? Here's the explanations. Look at it again. They were deliberate fakes. Well, how could they be a, a fake when the Palexi River's flood tore off the layers of topsoil and revealed them? And then when those rock layers were removed, you found more prints of dinosaurs and humans together. They're not fakes. And some are just smudged dinosaur tracks that kind of look like a human track. When you see the dinosaur tracks, you clearly see sauropod tracks. Think, think uh, a brachiosaurus, all right? Um, more round and three-toed dinosaur tracks like I showed you, right? There's no way you're going to see that track and go, ah, oh, it kind of looks like a human track, right? In other words, they don't have any piggies, all right? <laughs> this little piggy and that little piggy, all right? But you've got the sign there, and it's, 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 it's a telling sign because it shows, look, uh, there's nothing to see here because we know that they lived 65, 70 million years apart. Really? So I mentioned before, dinosaurs are terrible lizards. That's what the word means. Dinosaur means terrible lizard. Sir Richard Owen came up with that term. Before that, dragon is a term that's used quite a bit. So again, we throw around the term, but it's relatively new, all right? But if you look at dragon stories, you'll find a lot of them in history through different cultures. And, and we'll, we'll just take a look at a, at a few of them here tonight. So where do they fit? As we were taking a look at on our, on our whiteboard here, they're part of God's design on the fifth day if they're sea-going, and on the sixth day if they're land-dwelling. 
Here's something that you and I have to know. Herpetologists, people who study reptiles, will tell you this. You can find it in any book, Christian or secular. Lizards will grow as long as they live. Lizards will grow as long as they live. So if you've ever heard Kent Holvine, has anyone heard Kent Holvine speak? Or I don't know, some of you have heard of Kent Holvine speak. Kent Holvine is a creation uh, scientist, and, and he does talks about uh, creation and evolution and the flood and dinosaurs and all that kind of good stuff. And, and he lives in Florida. And he said he had a neighbor that raised iguanas and then would sell them to pet stores. Kent Holvine said the first time he visited his neighbor, he knocked on the door. The neighbor said, come on in. He walked in, and there was a five-foot iguana in the room. He didn't have a watchdog. He had a watch iguana. <laughs> and it freaked him out. He was like, holy cow. I mean, that freaked me out. It's a big lizard in your, in your living room here. What in the world? And so the guy said, oh, yeah, I love iguanas. I raise them, and they grow as long as you live. Again, you can look it up in any uh, reptile book, you can look it up online. Lizards, reptiles will grow as long as they live. I put a crocodile or an alligator on the screen there uh, because it was fascinating to, uh, to live down in Texas and teach down there. And when I was teaching down there, there was uh, some farms near uh, Concordia Lutheran High School in the Tomball area, and there were uh, reservoirs, uh, canals that would irrigate the, the, the areas. And the, the farmers told us once, uh, don't ever go into those canals because you're trying to escape the, the Texas heat. There, there's going to be alligators there, unbeknownst to you, but they'll know when you get in the water, right? And, and you may not come out, right? So just don't go swimming in there. Go to a, go to a, go to a lake or go to a, go to a, a community pool. And so di uh, lizards like an alligator, will continue to grow, continue to grow as long as it lives, all right? Dinosaurs, if you listen to people who are experts in dinosaurs, they say there's about 50 different kinds. So again, they'll grow as long as they live. And their average size, when you look at all 50, the average size is only the size of sheep. Now, when I say dinosaur, you probably, like me, have in your mind a, a gargantuan creature. But on the screen there, there's nine dinosaurs, and you can see in, in, with a human in the, in the bottom section how small some of those are. And so that's just some of them. It's not all 50, obviously. But that's where if you figure out the average, the average size is the size of a sheep. They're not all gargantuan but lizards will grow as long as they live, right? Well, what happened to them? When you listen to evolutionary model, they say, well, the dinosaurs lived about 65, 70 million years ago, and some asteroid or meteor hit the earth and then caused all the dinosaurs to go extinct. A biblical model says, well, God made everything, and there was a flood, a global flood. We talked about that last week. Well, what happened? If you weren't on board the ark, you weren't going to make it. The water was covering the earth for 150 days. And so the flood would have wiped out most of the dinosaurs, right? What happened to the dinosaurs that were taken on the ark? Remember we talked about this. You, you would take small juveniles on board so they can replenish the earth. What happened to them? Well, what happens to animals that go extinct today? They go extinct by the reasons you see on the screen, through disease, through hunting, 
through starvation. What's fascinating is we, we've come up with this model to say this is what did in the dinosaurs. Well, how, did, how do animals go extinct today? Is it meteors? Well, no, it's hunting, it's starvation, it's disease. Well, why, why doesn't that apply to dinosaurs, right? On the screen is a dinosaur fossil that actually had red blood cells in it. I don't know if any of you heard about this number of years ago, all right? They found a T-Rex bone with red blood cells in it. And it was shocking to the evolutionists because, again, if you go back to the timeline, they said, we can't believe red blood cells survived for 65 million years. They shouldn't be there. They should have long disappeared, all right? Just because of their nature and, 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 and how it could be there. From a, a creationist model, it makes sense. If the earth is only thousands of years old, yeah, the, the dinosaur could have been uh, uh, fossilized through the flood and that red blood cell could have been contained in that because it's not millions of years old, it's only thousands of years, right? So why did the dinosaurs grow so large and why don't we see anything like that today? You've got a different environment. The speculation is by creation scientists that this post-flood world is different than the pre-flood world. On the screen are the timeline ages from Genesis 5 and Genesis 11. So if you read in your Bible in Genesis 5, it's the genealogies of Adam and his descendants before the flood. Adam lives 930 years. Methuselah, oldest man in the Bible, 969 years. So pre-flood, they live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Then you'll see that blue line, that vertical blue line, that's where the flood is, about 1,600 years after creation. We talked about that last week. And then notice the genealogies on the right side of that graph. They, they get much short, shorter in Genesis 11. That post-flood world, because these people don't live as long, the assumption is, well, maybe the environment isn't as good. Now, this is what we live in. It's a post-flood environment. But does this explain why the genealogies start to drop off? And at the end of Genesis 11, 100 years is what these people are living. And today, we have people who live around 100 years, and, and that's, that's common, right? What's fascinating is this. Go back to what reptiles are, or, or go back to what dinosaurs are. Dinosaurs are reptiles, terrible lizards. A reptile will grow as long as it lives. If before the flood, there's an environment that's healthier, it would make sense. The humans are living long and the dinosaurs are living long. But what are they doing? Those dinosaurs are continuing to grow. And they would get, some of them, gargantuan in size. After the flood, what happens? Well, you've got an environment that's not as healthy. The people don't live as long. And if the lizards who get off the ark, the dinosaurs who get off the ark, some who can survive uh, hunting or disease or starvation and then are responsible for the sightings that we're going to take a look at on the sheet, they're going to grow big, they're going to grow as long as they live, but if they don't live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, they're not going to get gargantuan in size, all right? In Scripture, do you find the word dinosaur? No, it was invented in 1841. So don't waste your time with a concordance or go on to biblehub.com and type in the word dinosaur. You're not going to find it. But you'd find strange creatures like tanin. Tanin is a Hebrew word that just means great land or sea monster. And so you can see on the outline on, your, uh, on the screen as well, the passages from Psalms and Isaiah and, and Jeremiah of Tanin. And so when you read those passages, it'll simply, for the most part, say, God, you made the Tanin. 
God, you made these great creatures, all right? And, and that's all it says, and so you really don't gain much, much information. One of the best places to take people, if you want to show them a biblical account of what seems to be dinosaurs, is Job 40 and Job 41. How many of you are familiar with Behemoth and Leviathan? Okay, a couple of you are. And so here's a fascinating account. When you read the book of Job, Job has suffered at the hands of Satan and his three friends eventually come alongside him and ask, what have you done that you're suffering? So they're trying to figure out why is he suffering? What's the cause? It must be your sin. Job, why don't you confess it? And Job talks with his friends and says, no, I can't think of anything. You know, he realizes he's not perfect, but it's not like he's cheating on his wife or whatever it is. And so as, as the, the book goes on, you, you see Job start to get an attitude, this, this frustration with God. Why is this happening to me? Yeah, I don't deserve this, all right, with all the terrible things that happened to him. And eventually God answers Job in a whirlwind. And so at the last parts of Job, he starts talking to to Job. God does through this whirlwind. And one of the things he asks him is this. Okay, Job, let me ask you some things. Where were you when I created everything? How did I do these things? And then God tries to show his power and majesty in the creation that he's made. And he points to Behemoth in chapter 40 and Leviathan in chapter 41. It's absolutely fascinating. In the end, God comforts Job because he's with him in the midst of this. I've never left you. I'm I'm with you. But if you don't think I know what I'm doing, look at these great creatures that I made. So here's the passage out of Job. Job, he says, look at behemoth, which I made along with you, and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength it has in its loins. What power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze, its limbs like rods of iron. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. The hills bring it their produce, and all the wild animals play nearby. Under the lotus plants it lies, hidden among the reeds in the marsh. The lotuses conceal it in their shadow. The poplars by the stream surround it. A raging river should not alarm it. It is secure, though the Jordan should surge against its mouth. Can anyone capture it by the eyes? or trap it and pierce its nose? Now in my Bible, and I I use NIV 1984 version, it'll have a footnote after behemoth. And at the bottom of the page, it'll say possibly an elephant or a hippopotamus. Why? There's no English translation for that Hebrew word behemoth. So the Hebrew scholar just says, well, here's what the Hebrew word is, behemoth. And what is a behemoth? Well, let's look at the description. So they look at the passage we just read, and they go, well, maybe that's talking about an elephant, or maybe it's talking about a hippopotamus. Now, when you read the text, we'll just go back, right? Behemoth feeds on grass like an ox. And so you go, well, are hippos and elephants herbivores? And you go, yeah, okay. It's got strength in its loins, power in the muscles of its belly. Have they both got big bellies? Yeah. The tail sways like a cedar. And, and, and that's where it's, what? Now, my NIV version, after tail, it says possibly trunk. 
but that's not what, what the Hebrew word is, right? It's not its trunk sways like a tree. It's its tail sways like a tree, right? So its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like rods of iron. It's first among the planet in creation. It's in the lotus plants. It's in the marsh, right? And rivers can rage against it, and this thing is not concerned. Can anybody capture it? And so when you look at an elephant or a hippo, yeah, people can capture elephants and hippos, right? And so the, 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 the idea that this is an, an elephant or a hippo with a, with a tail like a tree doesn't make a lot of sense. And can you capture an elephant? Can you capture a hippo? Yes, all right? What makes more sense is, Job, look at Behemoth. What people in the 21st century will call a, a sauropod, four-legged, long-tailed, long-necked, dinosaur, like a brachiosaur. That makes more sense. What's a behemoth? It's probably some kind of sauropod. Job, it's first among the ranks. It's got a tail like a tree. It's got a huge belly and, and legs like rods of iron. But I can approach it. Nobody else could capture it, but I could because I'm in control. And Job, I'm still with you in the midst of your suffering. Then Leviathan is talked about in the whole of chapter 41. And we're not going to read the whole thing. I just pulled some select verses from this passage. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? It makes the depths churn like a boiling cauldron and stirs up the sea like a pot of ointment. It leaves a glistening wake behind it. One would think the deep had white hair. Nothing on earth is its equal, a creature without fear. It looks down on all that are haughty. It is king over all that are proud. So I told you about teaching down in Texas, and the farmer's going, don't go into the canals. There's alligators in there, and you'll find out the hard way. They told us that because you're not going to see an alligator swim towards you. It's not going to churn the water up. It's going to be very, uh, it's going to be, have a very stealthful approach, and, and then it'll be too late. But as I go back, he says, Leviathan, and you're, you're, if your Bible's like mine, after Leviathan, it says, possibly alligator or crocodile. Because, again, there's no English equivalent for the Hebrew word for Leviathan, so, so they just put in the word Leviathan, and then the commentators are going, well, what is this? Well, maybe it's uh, an alligator or a crocodile. But when you read the description, could you capture one of these things? Well, yeah, there's people today who capture alligators. They wrestle alligators, Right? Could you, do you understand when it swims, it makes the water churn like it's boiling? That, that doesn't fit the description of an alligator or a crocodile. They're much, much smoother in the water, right? Nothing on earth is the equal of a crocodile. Really? What makes more sense is instead of this lizard, which is still pretty cool, and they can grow very large, it's some ocean-going, some water-dwelling uh, creature, like a chronosaur or a plesiosaur that you see on the screen. So again, what is it? It's something in the water, and God's pointing to it, going, Job, I don't know what I'm doing. Look at the marvelous creation I've made, but Job, I'm here talking to you because I have not abandoned you in your suffering. I'm with you. I love you. You're mine. If you move out of Scripture and go into history, you'll find historical references that fit a biblical model, humans and dinosaurs together. Remember, it doesn't fit the evolutionary model. And that's what's fascinating. Well, what do, what do people do with this, all right? So in the Gilgamesh epic, he kills a dragon. This is written around 2000 BC. Herodotus is the father of recorded history. 
And so Herodotus says, well, yeah, we, we saw winged serpents in 450 B.C. Alexander the Great talked about large reptiles kept in cages, 330 B.C. A Roman, Cassio, uh, Cassius Dio, recorded that the Roman army killed a 120-foot-long dragon in 200 A.D. The Chinese have many dragon stories. Marco, Marco, why do we do that? Why do we do that in the water? Why don't we take some other explorer and, and, and just, you know, Vasco da Gama. Vasco da Gama. It's it just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. So for some reason, he's the patron saint of pool parties. But you, you've got Marco Polo saying this in his, in his uh, exploits, right? Now, here are seen huge serpents, 10 paces in length, about 30 feet, and 10 spans, about 8 feet girt of the body. Please work in the word girt later today. That's such a great word. We don't, we don't, we don't use the word, word girt anymore. At the forepart, near the head, they have two short legs having three claws like those of a tiger. The jaws are wide enough to swallow a man. The teeth are large and sharp, and their whole appearance is so formidable that neither man nor any kind of animal can approach them without terror. It's pretty cool. Marco Polo. He's not just for the pool. You've heard of St. George, all right, and the imagery of St. George killing a dragon. The Christian church adopts that imagery and uses that as a show of Christ winning over the devil. The devil's pictured as a dragon in uh, Revelation 12. Bishop Bell, when he died, had a, dra uh, a dinosaur carved on his grave, 1496. An Italian peasant killed a dinosaur, saved his whole village. He was commemorated in 1572. And then the Stones. The Ica stones are in South America. The Ica stones are carvings of dinosaurs and humans together. Now, again, it fits a biblical model. It doesn't fit the evolutionary model. On the screen, I don't know if you can see it, what type of dinosaur that is. Looks like a triceratops with the three horns. And on the back of it seems to be a man riding it. So Fred Flintstone was not the first guy <laughs> to ride on a, on a dinosaur, right? The Ica stones are carved with images of people and dinosaurs. Sometimes the humans are riding, like on the screen, a dinosaur. Sometimes they're hunting dinosaurs. Isn't that interesting? There are people who say, ah, these Ica stones are being carved today and then sold to gain money to tourists who buy into this concept. But people who study the patina, the covering that comes on a stone or an object when it's been around for a while point out, no, these, these, these are old, right? and they're not carved recently, so you can just sell them uh, and, and, and fool people. Here's a petroglyph, carving on stone or writing on stone. It's kind of hard to see. I'll show you a silhouette here in a minute. Here's a petroglyph, and that's what it looks like. I mean, you can see it better. I'll go back. Can you see it? No? All right. So here's what looks like a sauropod, four-legged, long-necked, long-tailed dinosaur with either a wishbone on its back or a, or a person on its back, all right? I showed you the, the fossilized footprints of dinosaurs and humans together from uh, the Plexi River area near Waco, Texas at Dinosaur Valley State Park. 
And then the latest ones that I had heard about were from Papua New Guinea in 1999. Their newspaper recorded a, quote, dinosaur-like reptile, as long as a dump truck, nearly two meters wide, right, so about six feet wide, with a long neck and slender tail. It walked on two back legs that were as thick as coconut palm tree trunks, had two smaller forelegs, sharp teeth as long as fingers, and skin like a crocodile. It was seen twice, and the newspaper in New Guinea had a write about it. On the screen is Mokalea Mbembe, Mokalea Mbembe from Africa and the Likawala Swamp. The size of the natives in that area is shown so you can understand how big is this sauropod, long-necked, long-tailed dinosaur. The Likawala Swamp is in the south-central part of Africa. The, the swamp is evidently as large as the state of Georgia. It's a huge, huge swamp. And the people dwelling there have said, yeah, well, there's some strange creatures that are here. One of them is Mokalea Mbembe. And this creature hangs out in the swamp and will come up and feed on malumbo plants. So they said if you want to try to find Mokalea Mbembe, just look where there's a lot of malumbo plants and that's where you'd find them. If you see it stick its head up, grab some of the fruit and then go back down. Uh, there have been people who have gone to see and, and uh, see if they can record with photograph or film Mokalea Mbembe. Time Life sent an expedition over there. They got uh, photographs of footprints in the mud, and that was it. They never saw one up close and the like. But the reality is, it's there. Those natives talk about it and say, yeah, it's a long-necked creature. It hangs out in the swamp. Every now and then it'll come up, and you'll see it. It'll grab a malumbo plant. But it's not like there's a million of them, and they're just trampling on everything, and you've got to watch it because they're going to step on you. There's something in there, or a number of them in there, and the people talk about it. It fits a, a biblical model, but doesn't fit an evolutionary model, and that's why it's amazing how little you'll hear of these things, right? So dinosaurs are not really terrible lizards. They're, they're terrific lizards. They're, they're God's creation, and lizards grow as long as they live. And, and what's sad is we've kind of consigned them to the evolutionary timeline, and, and we shouldn't. They're part of God's creation, and you can use dinosaurs to talk to people. So I mentioned Generation Z when we started this a number of weeks ago. Generation Z has the largest percentage of atheists among all the generational groups, double the amount. And they're not thinking about God. So you can just break the ice and start talking about these things and, and bring up stuff. Hey, I just heard information about dinosaurs and humans together. It was absolutely fascinating. Just start the conversation. And eventually, though, direct it to God's Word, the Bible, and Jesus. And on this St. Patrick's Day, it's fitting. If you know the true story of St. Patrick, he was held as a slave in Ireland. He escaped. He went to France. He became a Christian. And then he went back to Ireland and wanted to, to witness to the people there. And so as a boy held as a slave, he escaped, was converted, and then eventually went back to Ireland. And he's a missionary. You can be a missionary too. And you can use dinosaurs 
and explain to people the truth. Because again, everybody loves this stuff, right? We love Jurassic Park, Jurassic World, all that kind of stuff. You've got solid answers that fit a biblical model that make much more sense. Let's pray, and then we're heading out with the, uh, with the youth here. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the time. We thank you for the opportunity to study this great creation that you've made, specifically dinosaurs. And Lord, I pray that you'd bless us with, bless us with wisdom and the ability to see openings that you're going to give us to talk about this great creation that you've made and how it points back to you and ultimately our Redeemer as well. Lord, we thank you for this time. We give you all the praise and glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.